Friday, and it's time for the Med City Movie Guy. I'm Andy Brownell on News Talk 1340, Carol CAM at 96.9 FM, and the Med City Movie Guy is Chris McSannick. I forgot to do the MedCityMovieGuy.com. I apologize, Chris. That's okay. Since 2008, <laughs> we should start doing that now. You know, like how how when you when you you know buy a A1 steak sauce since 1863, A1 steak sauce. <laughs> so since 2008, the Med 2008. City Movie Guy. That's a yeah. that's a nice run. Some kind of milestone, sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on. The radio program for all these years. I've appreciated it. And I hopefully the audience has as well. Well, we haven't heard a lot of complaints. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way. Yeah. I did, um, I, I did go to the movie theater and see Maverick. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, we can talk about that later if we have, sure. if we have time because you've already yeah. talked about the movie enough. So. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's it's a big hit, and you know, it was instrumental in getting people back to the theater. So it's definitely worth mentioning again. But what I wanted to start out talking about was, you know, one of the biggest topics in our uh, in our culture, in our uh, in our lives, and a lot of people's lives uh, these past several weeks has been the, uh, the what what's called the Dobbs decision. Um, and people erroneously say it threw out Roe versus Wade six three. Actually, it threw it out five four because Roberts didn't join in. Uh, in uh, turning back Roe versus Wade, but uh, but uh, six three was for uh, Dobbs in general, which was I think the uh, uh, limitations on uh, on abortion. So um, one of the things I thought was, you know, it's normally it's a third rail, you know, it's a difficult topic to talk about, but more more to the point, uh, I thought it was important um, to talk about a couple of documentaries, and uh, one being on uh, Clarence Thomas and another one uh, on Anton Scalia. The reason I think this is interesting and important is because it demystifies the current court's majority, their their sort of thinking, where they're coming from. You know, it's easy to say, you know, they don't rule the way I want them to rule. Therefore, they're not qualified. I mean, and everybody says that about the other side. Um, but right now, we, we've got what I think unarguably is sort of a conservative leaning or originalist thinking majority. And it's worth sort of exploring how they got there and how they think. So I want to talk about two documentaries worth seeing. And then then there's a movie I discovered from 1999 with one of my all-time favorite actors, Andy Garcia, which is almost predicted where we are today. I mean, mm. it's it's scary. So let's talk about the couple documentaries first. Um, the first one is the more recent one, and it's called um, Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in His Own Words. And this is, uh, it almost reads like the autobiography of Malcolm X, where he starts out as a radical, and he basically changes his thinking just in the just in a context of several hundred pages of a book. Uh, and, and by the way, this, this documentary is based on a book um, as well. So it, it pretty much follows Thomas growing up. Um, it's an uplifting story rising from abject poverty to the pinnacle of justice. He grew up in segregated Georgia, as you know, I think we would expect that legend to be, uh, experienced tremendous amount of racism, um, moved, he moved from rural Georgia to Savannah, and he talks about the difference between rural poverty and urban squalor. There, there isn't much difference, but, but there is, it is worth noting, um, and you know, I guess he lived with his grandfather for quite a bit of time. Uh, for a while, he actually 
went to the seminary, uh, which is kind of interesting if you ask me. Um, but then he found uh, surprisingly a good amount of racism there as well. So that that was a bit of a, a turnoff for him. Um, and then I guess during college, he uh, he experienced what he called the road to Damascus or a little bit after college. So during college is where he got tremendously radicalized. Uh, he was a, considered himself a, a Marxist radical, uh, went down to the uh, surplus store and got the fatigues and marched just like a lot of other people probably did in the, in the 60s and early 70s. Um, but then I guess once he got out and was working in politics in Missouri, he had what he called this road to Damascus moment where he started to think that maybe the policies that were in place were not really in the best interest of people. In other words, he escaped poverty, but um, I think he thinks of himself more as escaping the policies, the democratic policies that really, I guess, imposed poverty on so many people. So it was sort of the, you know, this is just his way of thinking, right? This is sure. his journey, not my words, his words. So it's right. important to understand that. And so in 1980, he made this incredible decision, at least it would be for someone of his background to uh, basically vote for Reagan because to him, the Democrats were a disappointment. Reagan promised an end to the social engineering of the 60s and 70s. And uh, as I said, he, he viewed himself not as escaping poverty as much as escaping those policies. Policies. So that was kind of interesting. And then, you know, he worked for the EEOC for a while. We'll come back to that in a minute. Equal uh, employment opportunity. Um, worked for the first Bush. Uh, and then when um, uh, Thorogood Marshall, I suppose it was, who, who, who died, he was the uh, basically the replacement, right? So he, he claims or he says the attack started immediately. You know, you're only picked because of your race. And yeah, yeah, we, see, we still see that today, right? That's what Biden yes, said. And I came so it's it's pretty amazing that you would criticize that then and you would support it now. Um, Thomas, being a Catholic, was uh, terrified abortion supporters, which is reminiscent of when Feinstein, uh, Diane Feinstein, said to Amy Coney Barrett that the dogma lives loudly within you. Right. So it's kind of strange how these things parallel from what thirty years, I suppose, um, and even the strategies of of the people who didn't like. Um, Thomas, uh, quote unquote, will follow him from the airport to the supermarket. You know, we'll just harass him like that. That's exactly what's happening now. I mean, we, 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 it's, we've gone full circle. Um, and even in 1991 during the confirmation hearings, now uh, there's probably a lot of people who listen that uh, might remember those. Uh, this is when um, – Anita Hill kind of rose to prominence. I, I mean, obviously she was a professor and prominent before then, but rose, I guess, in the uh, in our pop culture, uh, ha having accused him of of, uh, of various uh, harassment type things, which the FBI said were uncorroborated. Um, some things that were interesting was that Joe Biden uh, headed that uh, committee that kind of forced Anita Hill to uh, compromise, I guess, for. I don't even know what, what word to say. She didn't look very comfortable there. She didn't look like she wanted to be there. Uh, ironically, Ted Kennedy attacked Thomas for for the kinds of things that he was legendary, right? So it's a it, you know, and this is the the whole the whole film kind of ends with him with uh, Thomas is famous. You know, this is a high tech lynching kind of uh, spirited uh, retort if you will. And even that had a lot of parallels to Brett Kavanaugh's hearing where he kind of ended it very feisty and 
frustrated and angry at the process. It was almost as if, you know, it was it was the process that offended them the most. Um, so take that for what you will. So anyway, I think again that that one was called, and I I kind of found it riveting. I guess uh, created equal. Clarence Thomas, in his own words, um, as I said, there's a book, and then the. Um, the video streaming, so you can watch okay. it as I did for two ninety nine. <laughs> so the, what uh, was the other documentary? So the second documentary is about Scalia. It's called Scalia: Portrait of a Man and Jurist. And what's interesting about this one is it's more of an analysis of the legal kind of mind, the way he thinks. So there's no sort of rags to riches. There's really nothing about his childhood in here or anything. It pretty much starts with his domination um, and just kind of goes off on you know. W- What's his line of thinking about again the, the the this notion that if it's not in the law, if it's not in the Constitution, if it's not in the amendments, if it's not in law, then you know we we need to kind of sometimes just hold our nose and you know vote 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 based on the words. One interesting thing was I, I guess uh, every one of these. Uh, Every one of his colleagues, and they interview uh, Justice Roberts, uh, Chief Justice Roberts, uh, Alito, Kagan, uh, even uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is, is featured in these things. And they all talk about that he keeps a dictionary from like the 19th century uh, in his office. So when you read the words of these laws, that he can say, I don't have to imagine what they meant. I can go to the definition that they understood commonly what they were saying, what they were agreeing on. So it's an interesting concept. Um, that's how diligent he was with the, you know, the original intent of, and it's not just the Constitution, but any law is written. You know, what did Congress intend to do with this law rather than see how we can sort of twist it a little bit, right? And he sure. was, and he would be the first to admit that in a lot of cases, you know, if you're a good judge, you don't like the results that you, you don't like the conclusion you came with. You know, for example, he said overturning the anti-flag burning laws, you know, he hated to do that. You know, that was against his own personal politics, his own personal respect for the flag. But, you know, if you're going to be a decent judge, you know, you're going to have to make those kind of calls sometimes. So that was kind of interesting. Um, but his his biggest issue here when it comes to the sort of uh, Roe versus Wade is, you know, there's no right to abortion in the Constitution, and that's, I think, pretty much what the majority found now. Uh, Blackman found differently back when he was uh, taking a, a, a leave from the clinic where he did a lot of his research. Uh, but uh, he's, you know, Scalia said, look, there's no right in the in the uh, in the document. Uh, if you want it, persuade your fellow Americans it's a good idea and vote for it. And, and again, that's something we're seeing now where people are states are scrambling to, to pass legislation. So, you know, Scalia would be the first to say that's the right way to do it. You know, you don't, you know, the world, the world is changing. Views are changing. Fine. Change the law, but don't look to the court to change it. So that's kind of an interesting concept. And again, I think if you, if you put yourself in that mindset, a lot of these decisions start to make more sense. You might not like the decision, but you can at least see how gradually these steps came to a, a conclusion that like it or not that's the only conclusion and the interesting thing about that deliberation is what we'll talk about just briefly is this 1999 film 1999 
called Swing Vote. Now, there was another film with Kevin Costner. It's kind of a comedy a few years later, but this one is uh, with Andy okay, I was, <laughs> I I was thinking of the comedy. I go, I think I saw this film, but yeah. Yes, you did not. I don't think anybody <laughs> saw it. But in Swing Vote, so this is 1999, and here's what happens. Roe vs. Wade is overturned six to three, okay, even though this time it was really five to four technically, but most people think it was six to three. In the film, six to three, overturned. And this is one year later. I guess you'd almost call it a dystopian future, but it's not, you know, the world's not burning. But one year later, a woman is on trial in Alabama for murder, okay, because she uh, has an abortion. Uh, the woman's a lawyer. She's kind of handpicked by activists to challenge the case, you know, so there's, there's a little, uh, you know, it's not as, I don't know. It's not as much of a hardship. Even she admits it wasn't the pregnancy wouldn't have been a hardship, but it was a, you know, politically, political decision in order to challenge the case, which is interesting because that's how a lot of these decisions uh, or a lot of these cases sure. are laid up, right? They they just look for a good case to challenge it. So you know we're in a situation where each state has their own laws, and in this case, what happened? And this is what's so wild about it. What happens is there is a preliminary decision that the justices have, you know, before they start their own, you know, wheeling and dealing. And the decision, the preliminary decision is leaked to the media. I mean, where have we heard that? Right. And this is 1999 we're talking about. So they bring in uh, Andy Garcia, who's this, he's replacing an ailing uh, justice. And he happens to be, because it's sort of a 4-4 on this leaked document. So he's the... uh, He's the swing vote, thus the title. And so there's a lot of concern about violence in the street. You know, we're not going to stand for that while we're trying to deliberate and all that kind of thing. Exactly what we're saying. I mean, it was almost scary to watch this film, which is available on, uh, I think it was either Prime or Hulu. Um, Yeah, but anyway, uh, so So it's out there. Swing vote. Did you Google, just do a Google search to come up with this movie or how did you find it? I I absolutely don't remember how I stumbled on it, but I was, you know, I I was looking for a topic and I something Dobbs. I don't know if I said you know pro life movies or something like that. Um, but throughout the whole film, you know, they're all faced with a lot of these typical, you know, from both sides, the typical arguments that you would guess. You know, it's like you know, it's a woman's choice. Uh, uh, life begins at conception was the other side, which science concurs with, by the way, it, it does. And then, you know, then the, the, I think the only disappointing thing about it is you kind of know where it's going to go, right? You know how it's going to end. This is just it's a Hollywood movie after all, right? So um, I guess I, I I would say, and yeah, I, I'll give the spoilers, so, you, you know, if you'll see it, you'll see it. But you know, it, it ends, unfortunately, with um, – and, and there's, there's, there's a few twists in it. It turns out that Andy Garcia, they, uh, him and his wife had adopted a, a, a baby, you know, um, and so that's obviously an option. If you don't, don't want to keep the kid, that's a, it's a good option. You know, you can, you can uh, put, put, him, put the child up for adoption, and he, in fact, did adopt it, and he was glad because he loves the daughter very much. So there's a few twists where, gee, this could go anywhere, any number of different directions, and you, you, know, you kind of hope that every, every justice – does you know deliberate a lot and says you know i'm torn between the two sides obviously if it's it's a huge decision otherwise it wouldn't have percolated that high up in a court system right um so the, unfortunately the way it ends is uh, and it's a poor analogy but 
you know, like Solomon, he, you know, cuts the baby in half, essentially, uh, doing a little legislating from the bench. So I wasn't a big fan of that because some of that is what got us to the point we're at now was the legislating from the bench. But I guess it was sort of inevitable that they would have to kind of find a uh, 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 compromise. But some, certain issues, there's no possible way to compromise. So this this was, in my opinion, a weak compromise. And as we used to say in the um, in the uh, mediation days that uh, compromise always leaves one side or the other feeling buyer's remorse. So it's not really a lasting solution, unfortunately. Um, so anyway, but but it does do a fair job of raising a lot of the uh, talking points that that people are genuinely concerned about. Not okay. Not like talking points you get in your email that you know you share in letters to the editor. But these are the real issues that people, bona fide concerns that people have. Uh, so it's called, again, Swing Vote 1999, Andy, Andy Garcia. Garcia. Cool. Okay. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more of the MedCityMovieGuy.com. I'm Rochester Today here at News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. This is the Family Service Rochester Mental Health Minute. With Chris McSannick, the MedCityMovieGuy.com here at News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. And Chris, I saw you were on social media yeah, a week or so ago, and you were attempting an online survey. It caught my eye about right. walking so, out on a movie. What did you find out? Well, there was a couple of things. You know, I don't even know why I brought it up, but the, the, the concept was, you know, have you ever actually walked out on a movie? You know, have you walked out? And then I said, you know, if you did, you know, what was it? And bonus points if you if you actually went and harassed the manager and got your money back, uh, which I think is, is probably pretty difficult now because it's some teenager in front of a computer screen. And, yeah, I don't think that happens much. And I was actually kind of surprised because I think for all that people talk about not liking a movie, hating a movie, the movie shouldn't even exist. Uh, I don't I didn't get the impression that a lot of people have done that. So uh, one one uh, reader said that, you know, they walked out of um uh, no, no, that's what it was. They felt mad. They felt cheated, but they didn't actually leave the theater uh, when they were watching The Hobbit, which they thought was uh, was a very, uh, very, very secondary to Lord of the Rings. Uh, somebody else said they actually did and got their money back in Rochester. Uh, the movie was It's Alive, which I think was in the 70s. And the reason, though, wasn't because the movie was bad, because it was very noisy in the theater and they couldn't hear the movie. So that was kind of a common thread where, you know, the quality of the screening, you know, the, the sound was off for the first 10 minutes, you know, that sort of thing. Um, technical so, issue. Technical issue. Somebody else uh, said that uh, they uh, bailed from Captain Marvel because it was supposed to be a 270 degree sort of widescreen wraparound and and they that that it it that didn't happen. So, yeah, they got their money back. Uh, They they but not because of the film, but because of the experience. Um, Somebody else said, no, they never did. They actually proudly sat through some bad films and they named uh, Batman and Robin 1997 as one of them. Um, And uh, somebody else said, uh, oh, well, this was a surprise. They walked out of Battlefield Earth. Painfully awful, they said. They just, you know, they just left. Um, Let's see. Um, Hot Shots was another one. Hated it. Didn't get a refund because we were teens. <laughs> so yeah, that's so I guess there's that. Yeah, uh, Muppets Most Wanted. The audio was completely messed up. Um, didn't get their money back, but got free passes for a new one. Um, then somebody said Hulk, the Hulk. 
That's all they said. And I had heard the Hulk was pretty bad. But again, to actually walk out of it. See, uh, for me, I've had to sit through a lot of bad films. Um, and I always say I sit through the bad ones so you don't have to, right? So um, my my theory is like in Ratatouille, there was a line in there about the uh, the food reviewer. He said, you know, bad reviews are fun to write and fun to read. And that's important because in my case, if I had to sit through a very bad movie – I'm going to write a review that's at least entertaining. So you might say to yourself, look, I good to know I don't have to waste my time seeing this movie, but I also don't want to feel like I wasted my time reading about this movie. So I try to <laughs> make bad reviews entertaining. So uh, there's a couple on my list of very bad ones, but I guess how about you? Have you ever walked out on a movie? No, I my you know, it's just me, my frugality. I paid for the movie. Dang it. I'm going to watch it. I know. And that's been my opinion, too. I mean, it's like I, and you keep hoping against hope that it's going to get better. Exactly. And, and sometimes you it, the does. Ending, you go, it never got better. <laughs> I, I have leaned over to, you know, whether it was my wife or my son and said, this is might be the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> but usually when a movie is that bad, I start to laugh during the movie because of the poorly written lines or whatever the special effects are that are so horrible. So horrible. So Oftentimes, I end up enjoying it anyway because I'm laughing at how bad it is. Yeah, well, my experience has been the more I write about the movie, the the worse it probably is because <laughs> uh, you know. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna talk about this, you know. And you're already writing the bad review about how bad <laughs> this line was. And I think the only one that comes to mind, as far as one of the worst movies I've ever seen, is The Last Airbender. So I, 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 I just didn't. I guess I just didn't get it. Somebody countered my argument and said if you were 10 years old you would love it and i said well, well i'm not go. 10 years i'm not 10 so and i'm not it. writing this review for somebody who's 10 years. <laughs> no i'm not <laughs> there you go we do have to take a break for news already we'll be back in just a moment with more of the medcitymovieguide.com chris mcsanic on rochester today news talk 1340 kroc am on 96.9 fm almost three million people use navage to bay love fridays chris mcsanic is here, themedcitymovieguide.com. Go to his website for the reviews that we just talked about. I'm Andy Brownell on Newstock 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. So It's funny It's funny because in a lot of cases, when if you go to the website to see some more, to see something about what I said about the movie, I have a link that goes back to the podcast. So, <laughs> you know, it's an infinite loop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, so yeah. So before I forget, one of, one of the films that that's uh, was anticipated, and a lot of people already are talking pretty positively about it. Opens today. It's called Nope, N O P E, and right. it's uh, it's from Jordan Peele, the same guy who gave us uh, Get Out back awesome in 2017, movie. which was very so different. I think that's what really knocked people out. That is like such a such a shock, a twist, a great thriller. Um, and uh, we're hearing the same thing about Nope. So. Uh, so check that out. Uh, opens today. I don't have anything yet to say about it. We'll talk about it more next time. Um, I finally saw the full-length trailer. It looks great. But yeah, that's a yeah. trailer. So they all look great in a trailer. Well, I know, right? That's uh, it's uh, someday. And actually, somebody I think did try and do this. Someday there's going to be a class action suit about you know product misrepresentation <laughs> over these trailers because I've been to a lot of films that are nothing like the trailer. You know, but um, just after seeing Get Out. And how thoroughly I enjoyed that film. I, I really do want to see this one just for that reason alone. That I, I, I anticipate that I don't expect the same sort of movie, but the um, 
I love the twists, and the other one, I, I would expect a wild ride. Yeah, I think a good thriller should just keep you on. It literally, I mean, it sounds like a cliche about being on the edge of your seat, but it should should it should keep you just a little off, so you really, you know, you're a little creeped out. You you genuinely don't know what's coming up. You know, my wife and I were watching something the other day, and midway through, we started saying, "Here's how it's going to end." You know, when you see, if you're old enough and you've seen enough movies, this is how this is how they play out. So it's always a treat to see something that is just you totally did not see coming right you know that was just so well planned out that um you know and there's nothing wrong with a movie that's you know kind of a formula i mean there's still i i said this early on you know i mean there's a lot of different ways to make an apple pie um well actually there aren't a lot of ways to make it and uh there's just a lot of good ones out there so it's the same with the film just because it follows a recipe doesn't mean it's bad but uh but Sometimes it's a real thrill. It's a real fun thing just to see something that's so different and so unexpected based on based on, you know, the cynicism of having seen a lot of films. Um, so I wanted to I want to circle back. We talked about it a little last time. The last time it was just just hadn't opened yet. Uh, and that's the uh, uh, the Elvis film. Uh, that's uh, Baz Luhrmann who who did um, The Great Gatsby with Leonardo DiCaprio, and that was definitely a, a different interpretation, or you know, to some people because um, it had you know a little bit more edgy music in it and things like that. Um, but the Elvis film, and again, it's a it's a very huge task you're taking on, right? I mean, to really do right by somebody who's such a pop icon, right? Um, and uh, you, you, and I want to say that I liked it a lot for a lot of reasons. Um, as I said, I've seen a lot of the Elvis documentaries. There's been a couple different Elvis type Life of Elvis movies. Kurt Russell did one made for TV a long time ago. Shelley Winters was played the mother in that one. Uh, there was a film called Heartbreak Hotel, which I actually liked a lot with David Keith, who, who played Elvis and. Uh, and and that was a fun movie. I thought that was a that captured a pretty lot of it as well. But this so the challenge here was, I think, to satisfy obviously Elvis fans, of which I am one. Um, but also, I think the other important thing, if any movie is going to be successful, is to is to reach across and reach out to to people who maybe aren't fans or, or don't know a lot about you know this enigma, right? This this massive character. In our history, in our in our cultural history, that w- that was Elvis, and um, and 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 everything we've seen in terms of box office. I mean, this this thing is phenomenal as far as the expectations goes. Um, it's it's achieving that. Um, partly, I think, because it takes a different spin on it. In in my mind, this is Elvis as seen by uh, Colonel Tom Parker, who was his uh, manager, agent. Uh, publicists, what, what not. So part of it, I think, is for that reason. And Tom Hanks does is, is brilliant as this character. Um, I, I think that's a, probably a big part of it. Um, and it doesn't portray Elvis in any really negative way. It doesn't mock some of the things that a lot of people have always had fun with Elvis about. So it takes it, takes it very serious. I, I, I equate it to the movie a few years back called Walk the Line. Um, it, uh, Johnny Cash, which, right. Which did Johnny Cash, right? Reese Witherspoon and uh, Joaquin Phoenix. And I, and I just think it was a really dignified telling of someone who deserved that kind of coverage. I, now, now, what you were telling me offline was uh, that you talked to a few people that, that didn't care for it. 
you had said the last time we talked about this that uh, was it Priscilla Presley thought that this was both of them. Yeah, Priscilla thought this and, was the best movie about Elvis, right? And Lisa Marie, yeah, they they both they gave it a okay. high and, uh, acc- uh, accolades. So I have not seen the film. So I've talked to three people who have seen it, and they gave me mixed reviews. Two of them did not like it, and they gave the same reason. Uh, and it caught me a little bit by surprise, but they felt like they were watching just a series of music videos. Hmm. And I can't judge it because I didn't see it. The other person loved the film. So a lot of the same reasons you just mentioned. Well, and again, you know, music was a big part of the film, a big part of Elvis. So it would be a big part of film. Now, I would say that there were a few things in there that or that actually that weren't in there that I would have liked to have seen more of. And that is this whole sort of phenomenon of his entourage, right? The so-called Memphis mafia. So, you know, now having an entourage is kind of, that's just what people do, but it was fairly a new concept back then, you know, where he just has a lot of his buddies hanging with him and almost, you know, get some small parts in some of the films. And, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's almost a legend in itself. And they, they, they did next to nothing to, um, to accommodate those characters who were significant in his life, right? Because towards the end, they sold him out when they wrote a a tell-all book and 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 all that sort of thing. Some some of the argument was that well, the the, the Colonel Colonel Tom kept very very separate from Elvis's private life and you know and these guys. So you know if you're going to look at it from sure. the Colonel's perspective, that wasn't a significant role. Now the other thing is the rumor is that there's actually a four-hour director's cut, you know, in the <laughs> works for the DVD. So that that maybe there is going to be more of that, but. Um, it, it's interesting because the colonel was a Svengali. Um, he was a manipulator. He was a you know master salesperson. Um, some people say he destroyed Elvis. He says he created Elvis. Uh, some people say he you know his fifty percent commission was a lot. I defer and and I and I mentioned this last time, but I defer to Joe Esposito, who was Elvis's right hand man. Uh, since he came out of the army in 1960, uh, and he ran, you know, all the tours and everything like that, and um, uh, he was Elvis's best man at, at Elvis's wedding. And Joe Esposito, in his book, he talks a lot about the colonel and says <clears throat> it was a very much a good agreement between the two, and most of the promotional type expenses came out of the colonel's side. And you know, the other thing he said is, look, he goes. What, what does an agent get as a commission these days? 10%, maybe 15 for a manager or whatever. He said, and that's fine. And if that agent has five clients, he's spending only 20% of his time thinking about you. This is a, the colonel went to bed thinking about Elvis, woke up thinking about Elvis. So 50% for 100% of his time, you know, maybe that wasn't such a bad deal, you know. Uh, so it's something to think about. Well, and also, did Elvis ever complain about how much the colonel was making off of this? Right. No, and he didn't, at least not according to Joe's book, Joe Esposito's book. As I said, he was he was there. He was on the inside and he he had Elvis's ear for every little thing. So um, sometimes he would be frustrated about things, you know, that maybe the colonel's deals, not not the money side. But, for instance, a lot of people say, well, you know, Elvis didn't go to Europe because the colonel was illegal alien and didn't have a passport. And in Joe's book, if you read it, he says, well, as a matter of fact, Elvis 
really only left the country to perform once. Uh, he went to uh, Vancouver. And, uh, you know, the colonel had his discharge papers from the military. He was able to get back in the United States. So, you know, a lot of this is, is nonsense that they raised to make a bad guy. Every movie should have a good guy and a bad guy. And he said the interesting thing is when when the European fans would say, "You, we want Elvis, we want Elvis, and they raised the issue and they said, Elvis, do you want to go uh, to the Europe? And the colonel said, you know, is this something you want to do? And at first Elvis said, well, yeah, he kind of wants to. And then I love this one. And then apparently there was a rumor that the Osmonds, the Osmond brothers had traveled to Europe. And when they got there, um, customs on that side were like checking all their luggage and everything for drugs. And that apparently scared Elvis. He said, well, I don't ever want to travel to Europe. <laughs> you know, once he heard that, you know, he's like between that and the fact that Elvis wouldn't go anywhere without his guns, he, he didn't feel like he would be, be comfortable going to Europe. And the colonel said, you know, besides, he goes, well, we're going to fly 6,000 miles to fill a stadium with 10,000 people. We can go to Ohio and do that, you know, and be back home tonight. So, right. you know, That's it was point. more, yeah, it was a more pragmatic approach. So. And you mentioned stuff. Vancouver earlier. We have to take a break, but you mentioned sure. Vancouver <laughs> earlier. And I, I cannot remove it, the, which movie the line came from. It might have been Stripes, but I was thinking back in those days, going to Canada would have been like going to Wisconsin. <laughs> well, that was the Czechoslovakia, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Czechoslovakia, but it's I like mean, going to Wisconsin. Back then, basically, <laughs> if I remember correctly, you, you, at least when I was a kid, all you had to have was a driver's license to go yeah. to Canada. No passport was required. The same thing with Mexico. But those days are gone. Those so days are gone. We have, do have to take that break. We'll come back in just a moment with more of the MedCity, MedCityMovieGuy.com. Chris McSanek, our Rochester Today here at News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. This is the Family Service Rochester Mental Health Minute. McSanek with us this morning on Rochester Today. I'm Andy Brownell. And, of course, this is News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. I promised you last time we chatted, Chris, that I would go see the movie, and I did go see it. I'm talking about Maverick, Top Gun, and I loved it. Um, Was it the best movie I've ever seen? No, but was I thoroughly entertained? Yes. And I saw the movie, and not two days later, I watched the original. The new one is so much better. Yeah. It's not just the flight scenes. Everything about it was better. The story was a better story, even. And and I thought they did a fantastic job of tying the two stories together. So, you know, again, it's hard to believe how many years have transpired since that. 36, I think. Yeah. And and because Tom, Tom Cruise it looks pretty good, right? He looks like um, a kid in the original. He looks like he's 12 <laughs> years old in the original movie. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, the other neat thing about it is obviously things like special effects and and uh, you know, the movie industry just keeps getting better about, you know, knowing what you want when you want it in a film. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that I that I agree with with that. And um, the other thing that's really important here is there's two things. One is, again, you know, coming off the pandemic, there hadn't been a lot of great films. Some of them were held back, you know, because uh, they didn't want to release them to empty theaters. Um and uh, some and people were just gun shy about getting to the theater, right? Sitting next to people, clearing their throats and coughing. You were very distracted. Um, so this, as I said last time, this was the movie we needed right now because first of all, it was it's it's unwoke, so it's not preachy at all, right? It's just it's just a good old fashioned film, um, right. and uh, it's very satisfying for that reason. And the other thing is, 
it, it, when you leave it, you're like, man, I'm glad I saw that in the theater. Right. You know, if I had waited for DVD and then it's a small TV and, you know, I don't know the surround sound and all this sort of thing. And so this is that really is one you have to see on the big screen. Agree. I agree as well. And the other I, knowing about the production of the film, when they show the fighter jet scenes and the G forces that were exerted on the pilots, including Tom Cruise. They were actually in F-18 fighter jets. They weren't piloting them, but they were in them as they were being filmed going through real maneuvers at high Gs. So it wasn't a green screen with a guy pretending to be in a, you know, a five or six G environment. He actually was. And that it, it was impressive. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And I, I like also that it was it's PG-13. So, you know, it, you take everybody to see it. There wasn't anything particularly offensive about it. So I think it worked on a lot of different levels. I think it was the whole Val Kilmer thing was, to me, it was kind of sad. You know, sometimes, sometimes you know, there's a nostalgia effect and maybe it gets the better, the better of you. And you think, you know what, I, maybe I would have preferred to see, remember Val Kilmer the way I saw him last, you know. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I got mixed opinions about that. But other than that, I, I don't think I have a bad thing to say about it. So the other one I begged you to watch or urged you is a better term. And it wasn't a movie, but ah, it could have just been a really, really long movie. But Well, it was about a movie. Yeah, the limited series that was on uh, Paramount, I think. Paramount Plus. The Offer. The Offer, yeah. The, it's making, ten... the behind the scenes making up The Godfather. Did uh, you ten... enjoy it as much as I did? I did. It, you know, and I kind of thought I would going in. You had urged it. I was holding out, waiting for all of the episodes to drop. I wanted to wait for all 10 to be there because cause I, know, I know how I am. If, if I would binge it and then, oh, no, you got to wait another week for the I, Oh, I, that would have made me mad. <laughs> so I waited till they were all there. You gave it the stamp of your approval. Um, I think it was uh, $2.99 for a trial to get Paramount Plus through Amazon Prime. So it was pretty easy. Push a few buttons and then it's available. Um, and yeah, we watched it, I think, over three days. Yeah, and it was very good. It was very good. So just so everybody uh, could be aware, it's basically the uh, uh, the backstory, making of, and then it kind of ends. I thought it should have ended with the Academy Awards, but it went on a little further. But it's basically the making of uh, the saga of, uh, of making The Godfather. And uh, I think the whole tie in with the the mob influence of of how italian americans are perceived um you know that was that was a big part of it um we actually saw some of that when they released the sopranos uh some places in fact in illinois the uh, anti italian the italian anti-defamation league had actually sued because because it was so offensive so i mean this was a serious thing joe colombo who who was uh a mobster in his own right, um, I guess, started one of the defamation leagues in New York. Uh, being so outspoken, I think, was the death of him, literally. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there was a lot to like in that film. Uh, and it's there's a lot to appreciate in filmmaking in general, right? I mean, because you, you went through all the stages of pre-production, the financing, and that sort of thing. Um, and I think that there were, there were a lot of things that demystifying the film process that I think a lot of people could appreciate. And uh, it was... a a lot of just rollicking fun too. There was many scenes in that movie just were just enjoyable. I don't know. I guess if you're into movies and they be given a glimpse of what goes on behind the scenes like that, and I'm not talking about at the studio necessarily, but all the all the uh, deals that have to be made 
to get to the point where you actually make the movie. Right. I right. thought that was just great fun. I mean, even even the the machinations of getting Francis Ford Coppola and then getting Al Pacino, who was apparently, you know, they thought he was, you know, instrumental in the film, right? So they had to do some behind-the-scenes negotiations for that to happen. I think all of the actors who played all of the characters, right, the uh, the Pacino character was spot on, right? Uh, Francis Ford Coppola, spot on, you know, Um I, that was pretty amazing. And, you know, the funny thing was, I think when we brought it, we brought it up last time we talked, I talked about anyway, there was a character named uh, Giovanni Russo, uh, who has a book called Hollywood Godfather. And I, yes. I kind of made, I kind of mocked him a little bit because I read the book and he was responsible for everything from, I think, the Kennedy assassination. He was <laughs> instrumental in, in everything else. And, and in fact, making the Godfather. And I asked you it through an email. I said, well, what, what was he, was he, uh, mentioned in there and i think your response was you gotta just see the show <laughs> and, and he is mentioned because he plays uh, he definitely is yeah he plays carlo who's the uh who would be the son-in-law um and i guess he got a little little wacky with uh with one of the scenes and actually hurt uh talia shire and so they made a deal to have uh james khan who we lost just a what, week and a half ago or so by the way but to have james khan uh Hit him a little extra hard with the yeah. uh, garbage can lid or whatever it was in that scene. So it was kind of fun because they made him out to be kind of a jerk, actually. So uh, that was kind of a fun thing to see. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't know that, you know, you could do that once. I don't know if you can do another 10-parter of another series. I mean, you could probably do something like Star Wars, you know, or something like that. But, um I, I don't know. I think it was just there were so many elements. As I said, the, the whole thing about filming in New York, you know, getting the financing, filming in, in Sicily, right? That was even a big deal. Getting yes. the funding for that, trying to figure out, you know, how you can how you can come up with the money. And then they were being extorted by, uh, was it Crazy Joe Gallo? And they had to drop something until his untimely. I think like what we, we talk about, he, he died in a uh, – unfortunate weather accident it was a okay. hail of bullets that's what we call it in the in mob comedy it's a hail movies, of bullets yeah, so, yeah. Oh, and that was the other okay. thing you know that, that you know wow we can't we can't sell a gangster movie it's not a gangster movie right, right. it's about family it's about loyalty and and the, even the mario puzo character right i mean he was seemed like he was so insecure and cranking that out at uh, wee hours of the day so there were so many pieces of it and you know obviously the godfather's a uh cultural icon of ours right for you know um dare i say for our for our generations um and uh so this is a significant and definitely worthy treatment of it so yeah the offer if you get a chance i'd highly recommend you take it in i granted it's 10 hours but i spread it out i didn't watch it in three days like you did but kudos to you for doing that we have to ride chris oh okay the clock the clock says so unfortunately We'll catch you in a few weeks. That's true. Okay. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Chris McSannick, TheMedCityMovieGuy.com. On Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Finding great candidates to hire can be like, well,